0: So you have to look at your attributes in the sense of you don't have to you don't have to maximize all of them. You don't have to have all of them. What does your specific niche in life uh, require? Because again, uh, having too much of an attribute might in fact be detrimental. I always joke that the stand-up comic doesn't need a lot of empathy because if you have too much empathy, how are you going to find funny at a funeral?
1: This is the Limitless Athlete podcast. I'm Tom Foxley, founder of Mindset RX and your host. And I believe self knowledge is the foundation on which growth is built. I don't know what's gonna happen, but I'm willing to work as hard as I can.
0: There is no past, there's no future,
1: there's just this
0: moment right here. If I
1: did that, if I can get through that, like, come at me. Changing how I saw myself, like as a man, not just as, a, as an athlete. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay, that's
0: part of the deal. It's how I responded. To
1: Today on the Limitless Athlete podcast, you will be listening to a conversation between author and former Navy SEAL Commander Rich DeVinny and myself. After spending 20 plus years in the Navy SEALs, Rich wrote The Attributes, which is a book detailing what he believes are the attributes we all possess that lead to our uh, success or lack thereof. In Rich's opinion, we possess, we like all possess these attributes, but in different quantities. They develop different amounts for different people through both nature and nurture. For me, One of the things this podcast shows is the necessity for an athlete of any caliber, so no matter what you're aiming at, to get a deeper knowledge of themselves. Self-knowledge is the foundation on which mindset growth can be built. Just the same way that knowing about your muscular imbalances, you can generate better programming, and if you get blood tests, you can improve your health choices. Knowledge of who you are, like your temperament, your attributes, your personality... Leads to creating an environment you can thrive in, understanding what drives you, how to motivate yourself, what's going to stop motivation, what's going to make you feel good, what makes you feel successful, and all this kind of stuff. To do this, you can use Big Five personality tests or the test that like Richard's put together with his team on his website, theattributes.com. You can use Myers-Briggs, all this kind of stuff. You can also just grab a journal, and free journal. We call it Observe Your Inner Athlete. Just write freely and see what's on the paper. Become the observer. Generate perspective and kind of see your mind as if you're studying yourself. So that is what's going to be in this in the podcast with Rich that I'll bring you in just a few moments. But don't forget, alongside this episode, we'll also be releasing the debrief where Rachel and I teach you how to apply these lessons of this interview into your training and wider life. And this is going to be released later in the week. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. And now here is the wonderful Rich DeVini. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the show.
0: Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Where I'd like to start is really with how you developed some of your attributes and more than nurture side of things, get to know like who is Rich Devaney behind this and then see how you grew as you, as you developed. So you mentioned in your podcast, um, in another podcast, that your dad was a pilot. What kind of things did or attributes did he display and what did you take from that?
0: Yeah, it's a yeah, so my dad was a pilot but he was a private pilot. He was a lawyer actually. His profession was law and then but he he his hobby was <clears throat> flying. And so uh so he had a plane. He co-owned a plane with a partner of his. It was a single engine Mooney, which is a pretty neat little four-seater plane. Um you know, and it's funny, I don't know, you know, I had to you know looking back, I think my dad's primary attributes uh were that certainly the ones that I I think I, I got, and certainly that helped all of us and in, in 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 being raised by him were his patience. He was, a, he was he he had a lot of patience. He he always had an open mind. Um, he still has an open mind. Um, and uh, and I think those were probably the two most predominant ones that I could remember. Obviously, he had a lot, uh, but both my parents, my mom. Was also patient. My mom also had a very open mind, and so that type of optic allowed for us to be to experience a lot of different things um, and do it openly. You know, uh, you know, there was never judgment. There was never um, this has to be a way. This has to be do this. My dad and my parent, both my parents, never forced us down any roads or lanes in terms of what we should be or shouldn't be, and so. Uh, so, I think those were two primary ones that had a lot of influence
1: on me and my my siblings. Do you remember any examples of that kind of freedom of opportunity?
0: Um, you know, well, I, I would say that just, you know, it's funny, I was just talking to someone yesterday and, and, and he asked uh, if there were any books or what, what, what were some of the, what might have been the some moments in your past that changed your trajectory. And I think, uh, and the way I answered that is kind of the same way I'll answer this one is that my mom and my dad, when we were younger and I had to have been in the, you know, uh, gosh, I don't know, you know, early preteen, you know, stages. Right. But my mom and dad were both very, they were avid readers and they both introduced us, certainly my brother and I to this, just some books that talked about the power of the subconscious mind. And, um, and, and so my brother and I dove into that stuff and we started learning about it. And then of course, subliminal, uh, you know, um, influence and and subliminal messages and things like that. And, uh, and, you know, again, I, like I said before, I, I don't, I don't sit here to purport the efficacy of any of that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know scientifically. I don't know how that all works uh, or even if it does, but what I do know is it that that type of endeavor, the research that my brother and I embarked upon certainly set us upon a course of being really clear about what we wanted and and understanding that and focusing on it and heading towards that. We became very focused on some of these more uh, and, and comfortable with setting these audacious goals, which was uh, back then was to be Navy pilots. And then, of course, it morphed into... Becoming an navy seal uh, and things like that but i that, I think those that type of openness that my parents displayed with us uh, and giving us books to read and and you know
1: promoting that type of behavior was was certainly instrumental it's almost like um, i can 't think of a better example than like wine tasting when you first taste wine it's like Like it it will taste the same. And then it happens with coffee. It happens with anything. Like the more you taste it, the more you see the variety and the nuance and the subtleties in it. And when you're primed with something like the power of the subconscious mind in your youth, then you have that kind of that radio frequency dialed in. And it's like, now I can, now I can receive those bits of information that I wouldn't receive. Yeah. um, Yeah. Otherwise,
0: which is interesting by the way, because I think any parents who are listening, I think that's our responsibility. That's our primary responsibility as parents. Our primary responsibility as parents is to throw things as many things in front of our kids windshield as possible. So they can just experience it and not do it with judgment, not do it with any expectation, just do it so that they get, you know, we're, we're in such developmental. Our brains are so plastic from ages of birth till 22. So The more things we can throw in front of our kids in terms of experiences and ideas and concepts, and 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 allow them and teach them to 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 ask questions about it and be skeptical in a good way, that's I think uh, a key to development. Something I try to do. I think my parents did with me, and I try to do with my kids. So
1: yeah, and especially challenging scenarios as well. Like variety is fine, but if it doesn't challenge you, then like there's you're missing out on a plethora of experience. That's true. Yeah. What were you like prior to? The military um i mean i i'm not sure
0: the military changed me much Uh, i mean i think it um i think i i would i would i would offer i would i would hypothesize that the military probably doesn't change too many people as much as it teaches people more about themselves um uh I, I will concede that it, you know, some people say no, no, it changed me, and that's fine. But um, but certainly for me, and I think a lot of people I know, uh, that type of experience uh, helps teach me about myself. Again, in the, in the book, I talk about hidden, dormant attributes. You know, uh, these attributes that we don't know we have because we've never been placed into experiences that test and tease those things out. And I think the military, and certainly the SEALs, was an absolute. Perfect laboratory inside of which uh, I teased out, or or these at, these dormant attributes were teased out because I was placed in these extreme environments. So I, I, I learned about myself when I started seal training. I, I had no plans to quit, but I also didn't know how everything was going to turn out. <laughs> right. So so you go in. So so to be able to go through something like that and see ninety percent of the people drop out and then be standing tall at the end with that ten percent and be like, okay, wait a second. I just learned a lot about myself. Now, the question is when do you actually process that learning, you know? And I think I've I think it took me uh, several years, if not a decade or two to begin to to look back and say, "Okay, now what 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 in fact have I learned about myself?" versus just being, "Okay, cool, what's the next thing?" because sometimes when we're young, we don't we don't stop and say, "Okay, what did I actually learn about myself?" um but uh but so the military taught me things about myself that I didn't know and therefore caused me. And I think and if we, if I'm not going to, I'm not going to dodge your question. If I were to ask, if I were to say changed me uh, it, it, it allowed me to experience what I would define as true confidence. And And the way I would define true confidence is the ability to understand and know that regardless of how the environment and situation goes around you, whether it be upgrading or degrading, <laughs> um, I I know I'll, I'll I'll perform through it. You know I'll, I'll I understand what I what it takes to 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 perform through that. Now it may not be pretty. Okay, it might be ugly <laughs> and painful and gritty, but I will find a way. And that's I think what I've learned about myself. And now that I've stepped into well certainly combat when I was in the seals, and of course leaving the seal teams and stepping into uh, writing a book, being an author, building a business. That's how I approach life, which I I, I I account to my experience in the military for having
1: um illuminated that in myself. Mm. I really like the idea of dormant attributes and it's kind of they're lying there awaiting the right stimulus. Yeah. And should those stimuli appear, you have the capacity to realize that potential that's there already. Um and that's the kind of it's not a nature or no, nurture, it's a nature and nurture mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's almost like the Big Five personality test. It it you sit within this band or this bracket of expression that you can possibly access. Yeah, and this can push you either way. Do you remember any times where you kind of you noticed these dormant attributes revealing themselves?
0: Well, again, I, I, I a lot of this is done by um, by uh, past uh introspection and interrogation, right? I look I look back at what I did versus in the moment. Um and I think uh you know again I just you know SEAL training allowed me to understand about myself that I knew exa- that I knew how to make it through very, very complex and tough challenges um physically and mentally. I, I had what it took. And I so I think I think to be able to do that And then, of course, do it on hyperdrive as you go go through your career because SEAL training is not – I mean, SEAL training is easy compared to some of the stuff you'll experience in the actual SEAL teams, especially when you go into combat. Um, But to be able to continue to do that throughout my career taught me uh, a lot about my abilities. Um, So I think that's the best – I I hate to – it seems like I'm a little waffly on this, but I just – I'm not sure if there was a definitive – moment where i said oh okay i got it i think it took it took even me writing this book to explore attributes i mean i was i was writing the book and really thinking about my own performance as i wrote about these attributes to better understand and better articulate how these things show up so that was even even writing the book was a introspective process to some to some extent
1: yeah you write so you can think clearly yeah like it's not only that but like that's one of the benefits of writing a book it's like okay i can Condense or solidify yeah. the arguments behind this.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I want I, I want to just go, just hop back to something you said about dormant attributes because I think it's important for people to understand dormant attributes. We, we all have dormant attributes, but the the key to unlocking those dormant attributes is to insert yourself into challenge, stress, and uncertainty because that's where they're going to show up. You're not ne- they're dormant for a reason. They're dormant because regular everyday life is not necessarily bringing them to the fore. So. So, so we need to look at challenge and 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 um, stress differently. We need to, uh, and this is exactly what you do if you if you are someone who is innovative or tries new things. You know, you you deliberately step outside your comfort zone. That's where the discovery of those attributes lies. Is when you deliberately do that, uh, and so that could be an exciting reason
1: to do it. Yeah. Well, it's the hero's journey as well. It's like mm-hmm. you, you step outside into um, what King Arthur refers to as the darkest path, the forest. It's like that's where you start your journey in maximum uncertainty and maximum risk. Yeah. Um, and it's like that's that's the indication that you're doing something valuable with your energy.
0: Yeah, totally. And that's the juice and spice of life. I always joke that, you know, people who if, if, if there's anybody out there who loves roller coasters, I ask them, how how many of you would like a roller coaster that only went up? Or only stayed flat. Okay, that's not what makes a roller coaster fun. What makes a roller coaster fun is the ups and downs, the turns, and the and the um, and the loops. So, so it goes with life. I mean, what makes life fun and juicy and spicy are the ups and downs and the turns and the loops and the and the corners. So people, a lot of times, I think. Um, uh, uh, really work hard to keep their coaster as flat as possible, <laughs> or <laughs> they try to keep it going up and it's just not going to happen. I mean, it's just not going to happen because even if you, as much as you try to to stay away from the loops and the turns and the ups and the downs, uh, life's going to throw it at you no matter what. I mean, look at COVID. I mean, COVID is a perfect example of that COVID threw everybody into a, into a, a, a down a, a hill, right into a, a valley there that we all had to come up from and we all have to loop around and do our own corners. But, um, but that's it. That's the spice of life is the, is the entirety of the roller coaster, not only on the,
1: on the uphill stuff. Yeah. Life would be so bland if it was just predictable, easy, simple, like you'd, I think there's, I can't remember a Dostoevsky quote maybe about this. If, um, all you ever had to do was fornicate and eat cake. You'd smash it to pieces within minutes. It'd yeah, like, it would be so boring.
0: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, we need that. We need that contrast. It's the it's the it's the contrast that, contrast that gives us the 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 real juice, right? Um, yeah. Just like you said, if you eat too much candy, candy's gonna stop tasting tasting good. You need to have you know mm-hmm. broccoli and Brussels sprouts, and then and then have another piece of candy, and then and then you really
1: taste that sweetness. So you're at some point in, in the teams, you're kind of, you're working in the military and then how did you end up overseeing selection and training?
0: Yeah, I was, um, about midway through my career, I applied and, and became a part of, got through, um, the selection and assessment training for a very specialized SEAL command and then, and was there for, was, was serving there for several years and then, um, was asked to take over the, the, pro- the program, the, the, the assessment selection training program. Um, and so that's really when, and, and we had had, uh, we had had problems um, up till that point with effectively articulating why guys weren't making it through. Now, again, this, this, this specific command um, uh, and program, what we did was we, you know, there were SEALs from around the, all the other SEAL teams that would apply to come to this specific program. Um, And so they'd apply. They'd get accepted. You have to be kind of the top of the top of the heap to get accepted to come. So these guys were coming and they were really the top of their game. Um, Highly recommended, great records, all that stuff. Um, And yet they'd go through our program. We'd get about a 50 percent attrition rate, which, again, every every assessment and selection program is designed to attract. So that's there's nothing wrong with that piece. What was wrong was what we couldn't. Effectively articulate why guys weren't making it through, so guys were coming, thinking that you know they were coming with very excellent records and and really at the top of their game, and then not making it, and then basically being told, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, you couldn't cut it. You didn't have you didn't have this that, that. you couldn't shoot very well. You can and it just didn't sit right with them. It didn't sit right with us. It was it was a it was a uh, a lazy way to, to to explain it. And our and the leadership was starting to get frustrated too because we couldn't effectively articulate why. And so and so when I took over, I was charged with kind of figuring this out, uh, so that we could better explain it. And that's really when I had to look at performance and ask myself, okay, what in fact is performance? What are we looking at when we look at performance? And, um, and that's when I really had to say, okay, well, it's different. It's not, it's not just these visible skills that we see. And part of my, my calculus was, was looking back at my own basic seal training in buds, which is basic seal training, basic underwater demolition slash seal training. That's the nine month course that guys go through or six month, I guess course, that guys go through and has hell week and all that stuff. And there's a 90% attrition. But you spend hundreds of hours, as I did, hundreds of hours running around with heavy boats on your head and hundreds of hours exercising with 300-pound telephone poles and running around with those things and freezing in the surf zone. And at the time, I looked back and I said, okay, I've done hundreds of combat missions in Iraq and Afghanistan. I've done thousands of training evolutions. Never on one did I ever carry a boat on my head or a 300-pound telephone pole. On my shoulder, right. So, so what that told me is what they were doing to us in SEAL training wasn't training us in the skills to be Navy SEALs. Uh, you know, they were putting us into situations, into environments, to tease out these other things, these hidden drivers, mm-hmm. these attributes, to see if we had what it took. And so, so I, so that at that point, I said, okay, we have to separate skills and attributes. These are different things, and that was the impetus of the work I did in the teams, and then of course the work I did out of the teams with the book.
1: Something I'm interested in is whether you had a sense of who would be um, successful in in those processes beforehand and Mm -hmm. whether it's just articulating that. And the reason I ask is because I remember on kind of the pre-selection phase of the Royal Marines, which I spent a few years in, Mm -hmm. I was looking around and there was 150 blokes there and you could see, I'm uh, sure physically, because you could tell he can do eight pull ups or whatever just by looking at people. But you could like, you could look around and say, oh, that's the type of person who I think is going to really mm-hmm. nail this. And then it goes down to like 50 on day one. And then, what, two years later, there's eight of us there, including back yeah. And it's Like, oh, okay, six out of these eight, I would have put money on them still being here. Yeah. And then there's the two, you're like, I would never have guessed that you would have been there. Um, yeah. And it's a real surprise, but they obviously had the the attributes or at least the physical capacity. There's something within them. So articulating exactly what they are and defining what would lead to success there is like a, a difficult thing to do, but we have a sense of it.
0: Yeah, I think some people do. Although in SEAL, in anything SEAL, Navy SEAL related, I would reverse those numbers. I would say in Navy SEAL training, you can probably predict two out of eight accurately, and probably even less. Um, but, But if we take those numbers, you can say, okay, I think out of these eight people, maybe two will be standing at the end. It's that difficult because... Because you're talking about things that have very little to do with physicality. They are all they have to do with the way we think, the way we process the world, the way you, you operate in stress and challenge, the way you behave. Um, and so we, uh, we did a lot of work. And I know I was very adamant about not trying to pre-select the process. Uh, the process is the process. Because the process is environmental. And there was a lot of there's been a lot of work and still has been a lot of work to try to better predict who will make it through the process, whether it be basic SEAL training or the stuff I was running. Um, and I was always like, well, why are we doing that? There's there's no way to if you do that, you're going to you have you, you're A, you're probably not going to get it right. Uh, and B, worst case, you're going to deselect someone for the wrong reasons that could have actually made it through. So just do your best to see if they can they can you know if we you know if they can if we think they should start the training and then put them through the experience because the experience is the process the process is the selection and so um and so now that said like you like you kind of mentioned there were a couple of dudes who who I had in my cadre just awesome seals and they Seemed to have a little bit of a sixth sense about this stuff, right? Um, And it it was just—it was uncanny sometimes to see them. You know, we'd have a so part of the part of the initial selection of hey, can you come here? Would be an interview, and and we'd sit in an interview, uh, and we'd go through this interview with a guy, and I'd be like, man, this guy's great, you know. And these, I'd look over at my 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 buddy, and he'd be like, that guy's never going to make it through, right? (laughs) Like, how do you know that? I mean. Um, so, so there is, I think, um, there is a little bit of a sixth sense. The more you're in the community, a couple, a few guys I, I've worked with have have had that, and and well, they're they're all retired now, but <clears throat> they probably still have that. <clears throat> um, but uh, but that's a rarity, and you can't you have to be careful about about um, giving permission for someone to make that type of assessment. Someone has to be very trusted, and you have to say, okay, this guy he knows what he's talking about, and even that guy would admit. Those those guys I'm talking about with that sixth sense would be like, okay, well, listen, I don't think he's I don't think he's good, but let's just see how he does. <laughs> Nine times they'd be right, but uh, but they, even they would would gauge the they would gauge themselves on the actual process. They wouldn't try to pre-predict it. So you just have to be careful when it comes to attributes. Attributes are very hard to see unless you've already put someone in stress and challenge. Okay, so so standing. Standing around before something happens might not be the best, is often not the best place. You have to see them in challenge. That's when they're the most visible. And that's why interviews and, and, and this type of pre-prediction gets a little bit sketchy.
1: Mm. Well, there's that moment when you've been through something physically awful. And you've like, and I'm not talking about the truly awful things, but those kind of those moments of fears where you're like, okay, that was absolutely disgusting. Mm-hmm. And you see true character revealed or you're sleep deprived mm-hmm. for however many hours. And you can, kind of, you see that true character revealed. And I suppose that's a a shortcut to revealing character. Um,
0: and, and, and an indicator for these training programs would be Royal Marines or SEAL training would be in fact, to look at someone's past, right? So, so one of the things that we found that, Again, it's not 100% accurate, but it started to, started to be a little bit more accurate. Was that um, fighters, like wrestlers, for example, mm. they tended to do pretty well in SEAL training. Why? Well, because wrestling is a sport that has A, it's extremely tough, you know, and the, and the workouts are like just insanely gritty. Uh, B, the, the, the sport itself is highly unpredictable, right? When you are fighting another human being, you have no idea. How that human beings or what that human beings could do. You have some you have some thoughts at what they might do, but other than that, you are basically in react proact. I mean, you're you're constantly gauging yourself in a fighting situation. So now I went through in the mid '90s. So back then it was wrestling, maybe some boxing. Now uh, I would have to look at the data, but I would imagine anybody who's in the, M- the MMA space or things like that um, would likely uh, do their 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 odds would be better because in the fighting world. You're dealing it with a sport that's highly unpredictable and in the MMA world with with very few rules. Um, and that's the type of mind that often gets through this type of training.
1: Yeah, you've got to maintain composure. Like in yeah. that's when there's something else fighting against you. That's exactly what yeah, you that's right. You know, you're forced to do. Yeah. There's um the guy who is currently the best CrossFit athlete in the world, um, Justin Medeiros, he has a background in wrestling and mm-hmm. everyone points to that. It's like, okay, you can see that tenacity. You can see not only the tenacity, but the the composure in in the moment and that kind of when everyone else has their proper pain face on. You can see the kind of the focus and the intentionality in his actions. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the ability to operate in chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. lovely. So I think it's probably useful to to define, as we haven't done to, what is an attribute and how does it differ from a skill?
0: Oh, yeah, we haven't done that yet. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> um, the, uh, all right, skills and attributes. Uh, skills are not inherent to our nature. So in other words, none of us are born with the ability to ride a bike or throw a ball or shoot a gun. Um, we can be trained to do those things. We can be taught to do those things. All right, skills also direct our behavior in known and specific environments. So they tell us when, how and when to ride a bike, how and when to drive a car, how and when to shoot a gun. Um, And then finally, because skills are visible um, and kind of didactic that way, they're very easy to measure and assess and test. You can see how well anybody does any one of those things. Um, Now, what skills don't tell us is how we're going to show up in uncertainty, challenge, and stress, because in an unknown environment, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to apply a known skill. This is where we lean on our attributes. Attributes, on the other hand, are are inherent to our nature, okay? We're, We're all we're all born with levels of patience and situational awareness and adaptability. Now, we um, we can certainly develop them over time and experience, but you can see levels of this stuff in small children. So, so there is a, a nature component to attributes. Um, attributes don't direct behavior. They inform behavior, right? So, So for example, my son's levels of resilience and perseverance informed the way he showed up when he was learning the skill of riding a bike and he was falling off a dozen times doing so. Right? so they inform our behavior and then because they're hidden in the background and difficult to see they're very hard to assess and measure and test right you can't sit across the table in an interview process and assess someone's levels of patience or adaptability or resilience so it's times of it's, it's stress challenge and certainty that actually begin to bring these things to the fore when you when you create environments where skills cannot be applied is when we start to see attributes really show up and so um, and so attributes are a are an enormous part of how we perform and behave every single day, whether it's, you know, in everyday life or in challenge and certainty and stress. So, so they're actually, they're, they're operate, they're, they're running our operating system all the time. We just see them at their most raw when those skills can be applied when, when it's, when it's challenging and stressful. So that's the, that's the idea. And so if you want to understand your performance at a whole deeper level, you need to start to understand attributes and which ones you have more of and which ones you have less of. And so just for the audience, again, uh, their, their sake, we, you know, I, I, I write about 25 attributes. All of us had all of the attributes, the difference in each one of us are the levels to which we have each, right? So, so we'll take adaptability. If 10 is high and, and one is low, I would, I would probably come in at around a level eight on adaptability. That means when, when the environment changes around me outside of my control, it's fairly easy for me to go with the flow and roll with it. I'm fairly adaptable. I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of in that range. Someone else might be a level three, which means the same thing happens to them. It's difficult for them. They're still adaptable. It's just hard, right? So so we all we all have different levels of each attribute. And that begins, once we understand those levels, it begins to inform us as to why we have friction points in, in certain aspects of life, right? If you are low on adaptability, you understand it's like, okay, now I know why when things change around me and I can't control it, Why I get so tense and it's so hard for me, okay? Um, That begins to inform our behavior. And then, of course, when you start to work with teams and other people, understanding how our attributes and skills, but attributes mesh together, um, starts to inform us on how our team actually performs in uncertainty, challenge, and stress and actually works together and dynamically as a team.
1: Hey, if you're enjoying this episode, chances are you'll enjoy our free ebook, How to Stop Substandard Self-Critical Plateaus and Unleash Your Potential. It's a step-by-step guide to finding your mojo again and getting back to the athlete you know you can be. It's free. You just have to stick your email address in and download it. To find it, head to mindsetrx.com/ebook. That's mindsetrxd.com/ebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Have you seen a correlation between the attributes and something, for example, like the big five personality test? Because it strikes me as someone who's highly open to new experience would probably score pretty well on adaptability. Someone who's highly neurotic would probably score kind of lower on um, on, a, on adapt- a, sorry, adaptability. Um, is there any kind of correlation? Is there any yeah. background data on that?
0: There, there I, I found a correlation. I looked at the Big Five when I was writing, and I found a correlation. The reason why I wanted to stay away from personality um, is because I wanted to really get down to elemental behavior. I think personality is a collection of a lot of different things. It's a collection of attributes, of course, a collection of values, beliefs, um, experiences, things like that, emotions. Um, so personality, uh, and, and you can, I mean, one of the ways we can kind of say this is, personalities start to emerge as a human gets a little bit older, right? Uh, personality and character start to emerge. You can see attributes in really small kids. I mean, you can really see there are kids who are patient and there are kids who are inherently impatient, right? There's, there are kids who are okay, yeah, adaptable and all that stuff. So, so I think the big five and all these personality uh, assessments are actually really cool, um, and I think they, they all, uh, speak very well to, and, and, and are congruent with what I'm talking about because I'm really just, I'm backing it up a little bit more, <laughs> you know, cause I'm, I'm really interested in kind of the, the rawest form of us. How does that work? Um, and so, but yeah, there are correlations. I looked at that and, um, and I think understanding attributes can help you even further understand your big five personality or any personality.
1: Yeah. It seems like this self-knowledge is the foundation. Of how to correctly deploy your actions or your intentions, something like that. Um, how have you personally used this to modify either behaviors or intentions?
0: Well, I mean, um, if I if I understand where my where I'm a little bit lower, you know, again, say to take empathy. I've I've been I've always for a long time I've tried to work on being more empathetic, uh, and I think it's because I just naturally. I come to the game a little bit lower on empathy. Um, And so understanding that allows me to say, okay, it allows me to take a pause. And in the moment where I want to be more empathetic or apply empathy, it allows me to say, okay, I am going to pause. and I'm going to work on doing this. That's what I'm going to do right now Um, versus just, uh, you know, rolling through it with, with the, with the lower levels that I have. Um, And so understanding where you're a little bit lower allows you to make a conscious choice to, Develop it further. Now um, that said, none of us can have the optimal amounts of every attribute. Okay, that's that's unrealistic. Uh, And none of us, by the way, need to. Okay, the the uh, the idea would be what? uh, First of all, what does your engine look like? What does your what does your attribute structure look like? And then, what niche are you in? What 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 are you up to in life? Because. You might be in the perfect uh, uh, niche in life that exploits and uh, exemplifies all the attributes that you have a lot of, um, that, and that's probably why you're, you feel happy and passionate about what you're doing. Um, and so, that, in that case, you might say, "Okay, well, cool." I mean, you know, I'm a—I kind of relate us to automobiles, so kind of like the movie Cars. Some of us are Jeeps, some of us are Ferraris, some of us are SUVs. And there's again, there's no judgment because the Jeep can do things the Ferrari can't do, and the Ferrari can do things the Jeep can't do, but. But it's good to look under, under the hood and see what you are, because you might be a Jeep that's trying to run on a Ferrari track, all right, or a Ferrari that's trying to run on a Jeep track. And if you are, then you start to say, oh, wait a second. Okay, that's why I feel so much friction right now. That's why, that's why I'm not, things aren't clicking. I am a Jeep. I need to get to a Jeep track or a Ferrari, uh, get to a Ferrari track. Or you say, actually, I'm a Jeep and I'm on a Ferrari track, but I want to be on a Ferrari track. So now I know exactly what are those things that I need to work on to do better as a Jeep on a Ferrari track, okay. So, so you have to look at your attributes in the sense of you don't have to. You don't have to maximize all of them. You don't have to have all of them. What does your specific niche in life uh, require? Because again, uh, having too much of an attribute might, in fact, be detrimental. I always joke that the stand-up comic doesn't need a lot of empathy because if you have too much empathy, how are you going to find funny at a funeral, right? I mean, you have to stand-up comic actually needs to have a have a. Uh, of a moderate se- uh, uh, sense of empathy, at least contextually, so that they, he or she can find funniness in experiences that maybe some other people would never be able to. Um, and so you have to think about which attributes actually uh, are the best for whatever pathway you want to explore.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's almost like you can act as if you have an attribute fully developed, but it might not be, or I say fully developed, optimally developed something like that or maximally developed, um, and that could be a useful tool to deploy, but it's always going to be effortful. It's always going to be something. It's always
0: going to take difficult. effort. It's always going to be uncomfortable. And so the, the key to developing any attribute is to understand. So, so, take, so I always say you can't, you can't learn an attribute the same way you can learn a skill. All right? and, and so the quick back of the envelope test to, for someone to determine whether or not it's an attribute or a skill is to ask this question. Can I teach it or can it be taught? If the answer is yes, it's probably a skill. All right. If the answer is no, it's probably an attribute. So the example would be, Tom, you say, um, and you, you did some time in the Marines, so you might not need this, but say you'd say, hey, Rich, I want to learn how to shoot a pistol and hit a bullseye every time, right? Well, you know as well as I could, I could take you out to the range and teach you how to do that within a couple hours, okay? That is a skill. Um, or you could say, Rich, I want to learn, learn more patience or more adaptability, okay? I can't teach you that. Uh, that's something you have to do yourself. So to developing an attribute takes self-motivation self-direction, and it takes a willingness for that person to go seek out environments and conditions that test and tease that attribute. So if you want to develop your patience, for example, you have to go find environments that test your patience, <laughs> whatever that looks like for you. I mean, it could be I'm going to go drive in traffic deliberately, or I'm going to stand in the longest line at the grocery store. I always say having kids, that'll that'll always help develop your patience. But, but whatever that looks like for you, it takes you, takes the person to deliberately step into discomfort, because it is going to feel uh, uncomfortable, uh, I mean, hands down, but that's how you develop.
1: It's interesting because the military is one environment. Professional sports is another where 90, well, a huge amount of your time is spent training for something. And then a very small amount of time is spent actually doing that. Um, and very few other areas of life. Do we go out and train for something? Um, so much is a time percentage like your work yeah 95 is probably doing and you very very rarely get a weekend away to go on some sort of development strategy right. but if you can get out and okay i'm gonna train my train my patients today i'm gonna train my adaptability something like that and or Build this into a training session. There's options all around. I'm guessing. Um, well, well, yeah, I, I think we have to be careful with the word training.
0: Again, I'm I'm very into semantics, <laughs> and so <laughs> and and the military. I know. I think. I mean, I got this. It came from the Joint Joint Staff College here in the U.S., but the Joint Forces College or whatever. Um, but they said uh, we we train for certainty and we educate for uncertainty. Um, training typically implies skills. It's it's a repetitive process that's conditional in nature. Um, and that's predictable in nature. Okay. We, so we train skills, whatever those are. Um, education, however, is different. Education is, is experiential a lot of times we're, we're, we're throwing ourselves and, and putting ourselves into environments that show us new things and, and open our minds to new, to new concepts. Um, this is, this is the training ground inside of which you do attribute uh, development on, uh, you, I mean, because, because, because again attributes are attributes are most often and most um, effectively developed inside of challenged uncertainty and training implies certainty <laughs> so as soon as mm-hmm. you as soon as you start repeating something over and over you've generated certainty about it so you have to you actually have to mix it up again so here's an example you could you could say i'm going to train on being adaptable all right i'm going to find this environment where Um, the, 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 it's, it's kind of constantly changing around me. Okay. And you just place yourself into that environment and do that day after day after day. Well, inevitably what's going to happen is you're going to get used to that environment, which means your adaptability train, your adaptability development is going to degrade as you get used to that environment. So you have to actually pick different environments that are changing so you can more effectively develop that attribute, if that makes sense.
1: Absolutely. It reminds me of, um, there's a book called The Stoic Challenge mm-hmm. um, by William B. Irvin, and he talks about going out and uh, assuming or undertaking stoic challenges and the yeah. idea of putting yourself in unpredictable environments. Um, so there's a, there's a nice correlation between those, those points. Yeah. How much do you reckon attributes can change? Have you seen some people change or develop huge amounts? Have you seen some people kind of really start Is it an individual thing?
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if I've been at it long enough to to make any claims on other people. I would say, you know, for me and kind of maybe go back to your uh, couple of your initial questions, uh, adaptability. As I think about it, is probably one that I've developed quite a bit of. That I wasn't as high on maybe going into the military. Um, And as I recall, you know, I, I did. I typically didn't really like. When things kind of changed without my control, but I got very, very used to it in the military. Yeah, the and so now I'm actually, yeah, so now I'm pretty good at it. Um, and so that might be, a, that's a good example, like, at least in my case of, of an attribute that I've somewhat hyper developed based on the career I chose. Uh, so yes, you can develop it. Um, however, uh, we have to understand that it gets complex because attributes also are contextual and, and the way they show up is contextual. Uh, this is why I, like, I wanted to write about how attributes kind of weave and play in different environments and how they can, you know, bounce off of each other. But I realized it would have been a thousand page book and I'd still be writing it, uh, right? So, I had to keep it very general. Um, But, so, the example is this. I could and did develop patience with my own children, okay? It doesn't mean I have patience for other people's kids, (laughs) right? I mean, so, so, so these, so these, so adaptability, any of the, any one of these attributes, you can actually, and this is why attribute development needs to, if you want to do it truly, you need to hop different, you need to hop in between different contexts. Fear, fear and courage is another example, right? You can develop, I, you know, I hate heights. I've always hated heights. And so, and so what I do is I'd climb this, I talk about in the book, I'd climb this 60 foot cargo net that we had at the obstacle course on the SEAL base. Every time I ran, every time I'd run, I'd run by it and climb to the top of it and sit at the top of it. Um, and I did that over and over again well after a, after a week or two i 'd get to the top of that, and i wouldn 't feel fear anymore All right, it 's because i 've conditioned myself i 've become certain about that so and oh by the way it doesn 't necessarily mean that that translated into other contexts as much right so um it tra- it was great for that cargo net, but you know put me you know put me somewhere else on heights i 'd probably feel nervous right so mm-hmm. so you have to think about those contexts. it gets kind of complex um but you need to be specific about okay, what do I actually need this is why no one should go out and try to be optimal on these, on all of these attributes. People should understand, okay, what in fact do I need to be optimal on in what side, inside of what context, and then work on that.
1: Yeah. One thing I do want to say is what that specific example gave you was the knowledge that you could grow and change your approach to things and and modify how you felt. So that in itself is a important thing to learn, even if the specific scenario doesn't Move out to um, to other things that you'd be scared of heights on, for example. Yeah, totally. If there was one attribute that you could kind of bump up in your life, what would it be?
0: Oh boy! I mean, um, uh, I would say, I mean, so so it's an attribute that I, I don't, I talk about in the book, but I don't. I, I, I kind of talk about only one fac, uh, facet. I talk about discipline and the difference between self-discipline and, and, actual kind of, uh, well, discipline and self-discipline. Um, and, and the, the difference for, for the audience is that, um, discipline holistically deals with our ability to, uh, to move towards those endeavors that we, uh, that we, those goals and endeavors that we set, that the outside world has a say in whether or not we complete, okay? Um, so before I go on to that, I'll just say what self-discipline is. Self-discipline is the ability to move towards those goals and endeavors uh, that the outside world has no say in whether or not we complete, okay? So, so for example, say you know, someone wants to get in shape or eat eat better, okay? Someone can decide to do that, all right? And then, you know, a week later, be in Las Vegas at the buffet – Okay, the buffet is not going to throw pastries at that person. It's all up to that person as to whether or not they achieve that goal. That is self discipline. Okay, um, I you know control of oneself. The outside world has no say in whether or not you complete that task or a goal. Um, on the other hand, you have discipline, and we have a goal like becoming a Navy SEAL or becoming a podcaster um, or writing a book and becoming a successful, successful author. Um, the outside world has a say in whether or not you're going to accomplish that goal, and so. And so, so overall discipline takes a level of adaptability and um, fluidity and, in fact, non-structure uh, to accomplish those. Self-discipline takes structure and routine to accomplish. Um, I know that's a long explanation to explain <laughs> the attribute I want to develop, but I am someone who's, who's really high on discipline but low on self-discipline. So in other words, I'm really good at setting audacious long-term big goals that the outside world has a say in and achieving them. I mean, being a Navy SEAL, writing a book, all that stuff. I'm pretty good at that. When it comes to disciplining myself, I'm horrible. <laughs> you know, and I don't know why that is. I always joke that I don't like to be told what to do, even when I'm the one telling myself what to do. I don't like to be told by myself what to do either. I don't know what that is. But but so I'm someone who has to work on one, my own self-discipline. And he, there are people in the reverse, right? There are people who are actually highly self-disciplined, so in other words, they are in absolute 100% control of themselves, their bodies, their food, whatever it is. When it comes to long-term audacious goals, they haven't gotten anywhere because they can't do it, right? Um, the best is a balance, obviously, between the two to be both, have both discipline, self-discipline. If there's one, again, a really long way to answer this question, if there's one that I endeavor to work on more, it'd probably be my self-discipline. <laughs> so there we go.
1: Yeah, the balance is interesting. Um, there's you can either like try and find the balance in your point, or you can team up with people who are gonna equal each other out. It's like a good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about like my fiance and I, how we balance each other out. I'm definitely way more on the setting audacious goal side, and she's mm-hmm. way better at actually keeping her shit together on a daily basis. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, so there's that kind of that tessellation that happens. Talking about environment. What is the optimal environment? Do you think um, to develop attributes? Well,
0: I mean, it's an environment of discomfort, and again, the environment is subjective to each person. So, uh, but it's going to be—it's going to involve discomfort and some stress and some some challenge. Um, Whatever that feels like to you. I mean, again, someone, two people, say say you have me and someone else who are trying to develop their courage. Okay, Um, that person has no issues with heights whatsoever um, but hates to be underwater. I have issues with heights, but I love to be underwater, right? So I would develop my courage somewhere having to do with heights, and that person would have to develop their courage somewhere having to be underwater, right? I mean, I, I always joke, like, I could be I have-been, underwater, pitch black, sea life teeming around me, can't even see my hand in front of my face. I could fall asleep. I'm that comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas other people that would scare the living heck out of them, right? They would not, they, they, they shudder to even think about being underwater that way. So uh, so it's really very contextual to the person. What, what, what one has to ask themselves is: okay, what are those environments inside of which I want to develop this attribute, and 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 need to develop this attribute? Again, it's it's not only want; it's it's also need. Your your the current uh, trajectory and course of your life may not require developing that attribute. So so you may not may not have to. Um, but yeah, find environments, uh, of discomfort and challenge. That's where you, that's where you be, that's where you can develop them the most, uh, the most viscerally. Yeah.
1: One thing that I really want to make sure we get in is on a, com- it's about a conversation that you had, um, with Dr. Andrew Huffman, mm-hmm. um, who I know you're kind of good pals with and thinking about how this, um, applies to athletes because they're often told to chase these peak uh, performances, these peak experiences, these flow states. And it's definitely something that I've spoken a lot about before as well. But the difference between peak states and optimal performance, um, they are drastic and it offered me a really nice shift in um, kind of letting myself off the perfection hook occasionally um, Mm -hmm. and focusing on good enough to get the results. So could you speak for a bit on Peak versus optimum performance, please.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So Andrew and I, um, when we first met, this is what we kind of bonded over uh, right away because both of us uh, were, were somewhat frustrated with this um, this obsession over peak performance. Everybody wanted to peak this, peak that, peak, peak, peak. And, and, and peak is just that. It's an apex <laughs> from which uh, you can only go down. That's all it is. Um, peak often has to be scheduled and planned for and prepped for, right? The, the, the football player plans his entire week to prep to, to peak for three hours on game day. Okay. Um, there's nothing wrong with peak. What we always considered, and we kind of looked at say seals and, and, and really life, but certainly seals was our first kind of environment to look at is, is that we were in fact, optimal performers and optimal performance is how can I do the very best in the moment? Whatever the best looks like in that moment. Okay. Sometimes the best might look like peak, all right? And it's cool and it's everything's groovy and there's flow states and everything like that. Sometimes our best is, hey, I am just head down going step by step, nugging it out. And it's painful, it's ugly, it's gritty, it's dirty, but that's all I got right now. That is also optimal performance. And so what what underst- what optimal performance allows us to do is two things. First of all, it allows us to celebrate those times. That uh, we're just nugging it out and it's painful and it's dirty and it's ugly. It's not pretty um, and it's just step by step, but that's okay. Cause we're doing it right. We're, 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 we're performing. Okay. That's, and we could pat ourselves on the back for that. So it allows us to reward ourselves there, but it also allows us to understand energy modulation better. Like how can I modulate my energy because I don't need to be peak all the time. I don't need to be peak when I'm driving to the grocery store, you know, I, you know, and so, so, optimal allows me to kind of modulate energy in a way in a fashion that i'm I'm giving and 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 producing exactly what I need in the moment no more nor less um, and so if that means I need to be peaking I can peak on demand um, if that needs I need to be it means I need to be recovering I can be recovering so that I may be able to peak on demand that sets us up for a long game a game where we don't know what's going to what's going happen which is obviously life but you know one of the examples I'll give is so often, um, on the way into a mission, and I was talking, I, I, you know, even on the big ones, like I talked to a couple of my buddies who were on the Bin Laden raid. Okay, um, on the helicopter ride in, uh, guys are sleeping. All right, you think, you know, the, the movies and TV would 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 uh, would purport that you know you're like a football team, like hoorah, yeah, you're all fired up and charged. That's a waste of energy, you know. Um, and so we always would on the way into missions, you just grab. Grab some time. You know, you know, can I relax? Can I can I settle? Can I keep my energy uh, in reserve because I don't need to be expending because I don't know what's coming. I don't know how long I'm going to be out there. I don't know what's going to be coming at me. I need to make sure that I'm managing. So, optimal allows us to look at energy in a highly different way. Um, it allows
1: us that modulation, which I think is critical for the long game. Yeah, absolutely, and it's just so much more. I think healthy for. Developing that relationship with yourself as well. It's like yeah. I gave good enough, as opposed to I I got the perfect outcome. Right. Is there anything that you've changed your mind on or um, adapted since you wrote the book?
0: Um, that's a great one. Uh, I I was very careful to try to write the book in a way that that could be interrogated and modified and debated if needed be if need be. Right. I tried. You know, and you don't want to come. You don't want to come across as like a a limp noodle that define, that that is definitive about nothing but um but i i so far i think i have um i have not looked back at anything that i wanted to change in mass i think if anything i've been able to elaborate more on things mm. as i've talked about the book for the last year um and that's fine you know again there's always you know there's always revisions you can do i guess so you can elaborate on stuff but but again i think um i would say um nothing that i wanted to change nothing that i would change um I think uh I think I think the elaboration process has been fun to to get even more deep on things. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I bet. I bet you've got that kind of foundational structural knowledge where things start to connect between each other and you start to yeah. see links that you wouldn't have seen without talking about it and having different inputs. That's right. A, a change of tack to kind of wrap things up. What books have you gifted most?
0: Um recently mine, <laughs> but, uh, I know what you're <laughs> saying. Structure. Yeah. 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 I think, um, uh, I, one of the ones I always recommend, I love Harari. I love Yuval Harari's work. He wrote the book Sapiens and, and Homo Deus. And, uh, I think I love the way he approaches, um, humanity and our species, and kind of, and kind of explaining that. I love that. Um, I, um, I think, uh, I also like uh, Nassim Taleb. wrote Anti-Fragile. wrote The Black Swan. Um, and a couple, he has another one. I can't remember his most recent. But, um, but yeah, I I like books that help people see things differently uh, from a different angle, from a different optic. Uh, I like books that help us articulate things that um, that haven't been necessarily articulated properly. Which is probably why I tried to write the attributes that way. So, so yeah, those are the, some of the books that I I recommend usually. So.
1: And then, what habits do you perform for your own mental health or performance on a frequent basis? Uh,
0: yeah, that's my self discipline, which I don't. No, there's not many, <laughs> so that's why I need self discipline. Uh, I would say, I mean, from mental health, it's all family. Like I, I hug my kids multiple times every day. I hug my wife multiple times every. I mean, we. I'm home now, whereas I wasn't for for twenty plus years. I was gone for so long. So, so I enjoy working from home. I enjoy being here. I enjoy. Um, being a part a really integral part of my kids lives and and my whole family's life I have a lot of family who lives around in the area so uh so I that is probably the one thing I do consistently um and I that I actually need even when I travel I I feel it when I don't get it (laughs) so uh but yeah that 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 family bonding is is a is an absolute for me so
1: yeah it sounds like gratitude's a huge part of that as well then
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Gratitude. I mean, gratitude. Yeah. And that's I would recommend to anybody because, again, the fastest way out of depression is to think about what you're grateful for um, and really feel it because you actually generate a whole host of awesome neurobiology, uh, neurotransmitters and hormones through that active feeling of gratitude. So a so great question people can ask themselves if they are feeling a little bit off or down is, OK, what am I grateful for? And really take some time and think about it because you will guarantee feel better you know, about, about yourself and about your day.
1: Beautiful. And then finally, where can people find you?
0: Yes, the best place, the one-stop shop would probably be the website. So theattributes.com there you can get the book uh, or at least get links to the book to find to buy it. You can take the assessment tool, which is free to figure out where you stand on some of these attributes. There's my links to social media, LinkedIn, um, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, and then there's some blog posts and things like that, some media that people can check out. So theattributes.com is the best place.
1: Yeah, the assessment tool was really good. I did it this morning, and cool. I was like, yeah, that that nailed it. It like really yeah. nailed it. So it's cool to see.
0: So, quick question: You did this morning? Was it the? It was the? Was it the shorter version? Does it? Did it take uh, a little? Did it? Didn't, was it? Was it like fifty questions, or was it like twenty five questions? Because I think we're just in the process think, of changing that. Yeah,
1: I th- I'd say it's probably about twenty five. It took about five minutes.
0: Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, so we we just changed it out. Um, it was. 50 questions <laughs> per, actually. so it took a while, um, but we've been able to now collect a bunch of data. Um, and so now it's shorter. So if someone goes on there, it takes only about five minutes per uh, per section. So, uh, so
1: that's cool that you're able to take nice. that. Well, thank you so much, Rich. I really do appreciate your time. Yeah, thank
0: you, Tom. It's great to be
1: here. I'm Tom Foxley. Thank you for listening to the Limitless Athlete Podcast. Following this episode, we'll also be releasing the debrief, which is a summary of the wisdom within this conversation and practical steps to applying it in order to enhance your own mindset. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast so you can begin start sorry, you can start growing the mindset of a limitless athlete. Wherever you listen to your podcast, if you can leave a five-star review, that'd be awesome. Too, or a one-star review if you think this is just shit. For further mindset training resources and tools, head to mindsetrx.com or find us on Instagram by searching for MindsetRx. Next week, I will be talking to a breathwork physio who specializes in pain science. It's going to be a great one.